This week on PowerNorth.ca, Paul, Jack, and Shane dig into the past with A.J. Roberts. Music provided by Obey the Brave. Check them out on iTunes. All right, everybody, welcome to PowerNorth.ca, dropping loads of knowledge and bringing you the stories of strength. Tonight's guest is the one and only Mr. A.J. Roberts, the man that I feel in the world of podcasts probably needs no introduction. So, Shane, can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight? Yes, so we're going to go into uh, a little bit of A.J.'s background in, uh, well, how he got into the States, uh, how he got into powerlifting, how he got out of powerlifting and what he's done after, because AJ has done everything. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a weird thing that I get a I get to call AJ uh, a friend of mine, but he's also a giant idol to me, which is also funny because AJ is also younger than I am. But hey, that's that's irrelevant. Um, I'm probably smaller than you now. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rolling 265 <laughs> right now, so I'm smaller than you. Dang. <laughs> Paul, Paul and AJ have this uh, common trait is they both uh, allowed me to live in their basements. I was in their basement. I actually moved out of Paul's basement into AJ's basement. And when I lived with AJ, he was well. You were about three twenty then, eh? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's in my, in my prime. Yeah, <laughs> you were on three twenty and uh, eating Red Robin as much as we could, and those endless baskets of fries with uh, Tony. Uh, anyway, so so. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'm going to let AJ introduce himself uh, a little bit more, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what more needs to be said. I guess, uh, um, I obviously, uh, powerlifting I was a big part of my life for a, for a long time, almost uh, a decade. Um, went from a buck seventy tiny basketball player all the way to, you know, three twenty world record holders, and um, you know. I ate my way up, as they say, and uh, you know, had the pleasure of training at Westside, and obviously that's how I met you, Shane. You came over and stayed and, and trained with us, and um, and then after that, you know, I've gone on and, and done a bunch of other random stuff in fitness, and still trying to guess find what it is to do after. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite the journey. So, uh, how did it, so you you have a fantastic accent. Uh, how I got into podcasts is I actually Googled AJ Roberts podcast and just listened to everything you were on iTunes and stuff like that because I just love hearing you talk and you're so eloquent with your voice. <laughs> Total man crush on AJ. Um, how did you get – why did you come over to the U.S. from the U.K.? Yeah, so I grew up um, in England, and uh, I got into basketball because I had cousins who were from Kentucky. They came over. They they had they were college basketball players, and and got me into the sport. I was around 10 years of age when I got into it, and so um, at 14, I, I made the England team and was playing for the for England team alongside uh, the now I think he's still with Chicago Bulls, uh, Louis Dang. Um, and uh, I was on the same team as him. Obviously, he went on and did a lot better than me. But um, I was, I was, I, uh, I thought that I was going to be a professional basketball player. And so the, the logical uh, ascension was obviously to come to the states and to uh, to play in high school and try to earn a college scholarship. So uh, I did an international exchange to get over here. Um, ended up in Oregon in a small town. 
And when I say small, I mean it was tiny. There was only 250 people in the entire town, a total of 57 people in the grade school and high school. I think there was 17 in my graduating class. So um, <laughs> I went from a town of 2 million to that. And so that threw me into uh, a th being a three-sport athlete because uh, there was no one else to compete with. So uh, I was a three-sport athlete. And um, the weightlifting coach is also my math coach and the football coach. So I uh, got into lifting and was just really strong at it. So my senior year, uh, after I came over for basketball, my senior year, I, uh, I was found to be recruited. Um, and uh, unbeknownst to myself, the basketball coach had seen my application for international exchange and, and went and found me a family so I could live with and, and that. So I wasn't able to play, and that's what led me into getting into powerlifting. So went from England purely to play basketball and then you know found out that I was stronger with everyone. And then when I didn't have anything else to do, I figured, why not compete in this sport that I'd never heard of before? Um, and it turned out I was ended up being pretty good at it. <laughs> yes, you were. So uh, along the way, you went to Idaho, University of Idaho, um, ended up working with uh, Pat, Jim, and Nick, with, uh, got you into Kentucky, Owensboro, I think? Yeah, yeah, the beautiful town of Owensboro, yeah. Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, that's a metropolis compared to that little town in Oregon. Uh, yeah. So then tell us about the, the times, because that's when you first started – um, kind of looking up and training with Louie, right? Yeah, so I was living in Spokane, Washington, and um, training with Brent, and I knew about Westside, and Brent had retired because of uh, his, his uh, he had the, uh, this ear infection uh, that actually turned out to be some equilibrium problems, and he couldn't travel, so he retired because every time he did travel, he collapsed, and, and it was pretty severe, so <clears throat> he retired, and I really didn't know what to do. You know, I was training on my own. I had a pretty good squad at the time. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll move to Westside. So I called Louis up. I kind of said I was thinking about moving that way. And, and he asked me my numbers. And I think at the time I had squatted 1,008, um, benched maybe six, high sixes, sevens, and, and deadlifted uh, low sevens. And um, he goes to me, well, you'll be the weakest guy in the morning crew. Um, <laughs> so I kind of was like, oh, shit, like what am I going to do? And uh, so – when the opportunity came up to move to Kentucky, I looked up how close it was to Westside, and it was about four hours, four and a half hours away. And so I competed, I moved, I competed in the summer, I think at a UPA championships that was in Ohio and met a lot of the Westside guys and became friends with Dave Hoff. And Dave started texting me, telling me to come up and train. So I set up my schedule so that every Friday I could drive four and a half hours to Westside, train with Hoff, and then drive four and a half hours back. <laughs> And after doing that for about a month and a half, Louis goes, you know, you might as well move here. And um, and that that was pretty much all I needed uh, to kind of to walk away from the, the job I had at the time and to, you know, uh, pack up and move all my stuff to Columbus, Ohio. So, um, yeah, that was kind of that was kind of how I ended up going. I was driving back and forth, back and forth. And Louis just thought it was insane. And it's like if you're going to drive eight, eight and nine hours every week to train here, you might as well move. And made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. So while you were at Westside, uh, you ended up breaking the all-time world record for, was it 308s? Yeah, 308 weight class. 308. How long were you at Westside before you uh, you conquered that beast? I think it was about three and a half years. Uh, when I went in, uh, the world record was, um, I think it was like 2780 or something like that. Um, Chuck, uh, no, 2680, and Chuck, Fout, uh, Matt Wenning were going back and forth with it, and then uh, Jonas came out of nowhere and set it up at 2699. So what I was going for, and then what it ended up being, 
two totally different things. And then he, he got that record up to 27.99, whatever that was. And, and so that was the new record I had to chase. Um, and you know, I just stuck to, I just did what Louie told me to do and, 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 uh, trusted in his process. Um, and, and tr try to remember what Dave Tate told me before I moved there, that they'll say a lot of things that make no sense and, and, and seem absolutely insane, but just, just do it because if you don't, you'll, you'll end up doing it anyway, eventually. So, um, I just kind of trusted Louie and, and through all the, all the craziness and all the, all the times that it made absolutely no sense what he wanted me to do. Um, and I think that that was a huge part of that success was just trusting in that process, you know, continuing to gain weight, training the way he wanted me to train. Um, and as you know, Louis doesn't actually like coach while you're there unless you go to him and ask. And so I was constantly going to breakfast with him, constantly pulling him aside and asking him what he thought and, and, try, and, and brainstorming with him about what needed to be done. And so, um, you know, I went in at, at, at 24, uh, I think 24.30 total. Um, and then, you know, quickly, I went backwards for a while when I first got there, especially in the squat. I had a lower back injury, not many people know about. And I actually, every time I would squat, I don't know what compression happened, but I would uh, be paralyzed on, on uh, the left side of my body. And a lot of times I just fell to the ground. And um, it, Louis had me start redoing reverse hyper, you know, uh, four times a week and doing a bunch of other stuff. But my back, my squat um, went backwards almost 100 pounds before it started to move forward again. But the whole process, he said, you know, you're relearning how to squat, you're retraining. And so I just, I trusted that. And then once I got back to, um, back to where I was on the squat, it was like everything just, you know, went vertical for me. And uh, it wasn't too long before I found myself in the 1100s and, and then uh, breaking the record. Yeah, it was 28.25, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, yeah, I broke the record at 28.25 in uh, March 2011, re-broke it in the, at the end of the year in August at the Pro-Am, it went 28.55, then uh, uh, Jonas Ratnan took it back, and then I believe Dave Hoff broke it after that, so I think Dave still has it, um, but, uh, you know, I've there hasn't been much change going on with the records uh, anymore, because obviously raw lifting has taken off, and most of the, the top lifters are, are in that field now. But I'm pretty sure Dave still holds the 275 and the 308 world record, and then Donnie holds the, the all-time still. So, um, you know, me and, me and Jonas are pretty much out of the sport now. Donnie's retired. I think Dave's the only lone, lone ranger left. So Yeah, um, and I'm pretty sure once, like, Chuck, Chuck Vogelpohl resurrects from the dead, he'll, uh, he'll, <laughs> yeah. he'll come back and hold 27 and 242 or something like that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm positive he'll come back here when oh. he seems to come back. <laughs> yeah, he just pops out of nowhere. He's like, oh, hey, I took six years off. I'm good now. Yeah, I have a West Side, West Side question for you guys. Um, how much of an institution is breakfast? Because everybody always talks about breakfast at West Side. And does anybody use the reverse hyper when their back is not hurt? Uh, when I was there, yes, you, you had to use it, and you had to use various ones. Uh, he, I think, had four variations of it when I was there. And you had to do – one of them was super heavy – one of them was lighter that you had to do a lot of volume with. Um, one he used as a neck harness. Um, uh, AJ, after you got your back fixed up, uh, did you? How? What was your uh, regimen for uh, the reverse hyper after that? 
Yeah, I dropped down to two times a week because I was able to add in a lot of other exercises. But as you said, there was four different reverse hypers. Is the the classic one, which is what most people are, the pendulum hyper, which is what most people are aware of and have seen. Um, Louis has a chain hyper, which um, it, it, you have to be very controlled on it. So it takes a lot of the momentum out. Um, he has a, a single split hyper, so each leg is individual. Um, and, and, and it tilts and rotates, and then he has uh, this hyper where the weight's actually behind you, um, in, in which the, the the tension or wherever the, the pressure points are, it's it's in, it's, in, it's really hard. So you use hardly any weight on, on that hyper. But um, for me, once I had gotten healthy, I typically rotated between um, on dynamic days. I did lighter, higher rep work. Um, with the harder hypers and then on on max days I did heavy, you know 600 plus hypers with the with the traditional hyper um, but uh, it's definitely to, The biggest thing with it is more than anything like most people don't understand recovery pro pro process of it. Um, it You'll get your strengthening while you're recovering and so that traction on that lower back after you're squatting with the weights and the and the band tension that we did, um, it was usually mostly straight to the hyper just to release all that tension so you could carry on with the workout. So um, it's pretty much a staple for, for the majority of people there. Excellent. And, and then breakfast. Money, much, you, asked, you asked about yeah, breakfast. How much money do you guys spend at uh, what's the, uh, Bob Evans? Bob Evans. So, so <laughs> Louis spent most of the money at Bob Evans, but Louis goes. Louis has very strict rituals. He eats at the same places, the same day, the same time. Um, whether you're there or not, he's there. Um, and so Bob Evans um, pretty much, I think, survives because of him where, where it's located. It's not it's not in the best part of Columbus, the one he goes to. Um, but he's been going there forever. He knows everyone. The, the waitress, uh, Dottie, she's the worst waitress you could imagine. I, I mean, seriously. Like, <laughs> like she's the spills She's everything a, yeah and louis complains about her but he treated her good and 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 tipped her well and um but it was it, it for him you know he has he's very methodical in what he does and so that was just something he's been doing forever so pretty much every lifter that's ever gone through there has gone to breakfast with louis at bob evans and probably heard the same stories <laughs> yeah over and over and over and that was one of the downsides of like even new people were coming in as I was there. Uh, actually, the day after I started is when Jake Anderson also moved down into AJ's house because he was like the the, the hostel for powerlifters. Um, and yeah, because once you heard a story, you knew if someone knew coming in, you they were getting all the same stories again, and it made sense of the look on everybody's face when Louie was telling the star to you there, they would all be shaking their heads. They're like, Oh, okay. Cause they've heard it 19 times before. Yeah. I think he like over the years has refined the stories based on the reaction. Right. So if it's a, <laughs> like if it's a good story, he keeps it. And cause I, cause I heard a lot of new stories, but then then never heard him again. So I think it's like, he's like a comedian. He's like testing stuff. Like does this stick? And he, you know, and, um, and he has his punchlines and it's, it's brilliant. It's great listening to him when he's presenting and speaking, which I was, uh, you know, I had the pleasure of, uh, teaching alongside of him at many of the seminars. Um, but just like hearing the way he delivers stuff, um, you know, for someone that didn't graduate high school and, and, um, you know, as he says, is, you know, doesn't have much going on. Like he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever been around and his, uh, his ability to, to pass that on to generation of lifters, um, has been phenomenal. And you just look at everyone that's come out of Westside, whether they, uh, remain friends with Louie or left on good or bad terms. You look at how many top coaches in the industry now 
um, you know, who are leaders, who are uh, who are working with people. Um, you know, it's hard to find someone whose fingerprint, you know, Louis doesn't have a fingerprint on. And I just think that that's that's phenomenal. And um, you know, it, it it was definitely a pleasure to be a part of that. That's so cool. So it's, I know one thing you talked about when we when I was uh, mooching off you is uh, once you got the world record, you were you were going to be done. That was it. You wanted to get the world record, and then you were moving on because you had a lot of goals you wanted to achieve. Um, so take us through that step, that transition out of parallel thing. You're like, all right, I'm done. I'm moving on. Yeah, like yeah. The, the cover of Power Mag, CrossFit AJ on the cover of Power Mag. Yeah, yeah that, that was the only time I guess Mark felt that I deserved a cover. But, uh, <laughs> in my worst. Uh, no, uh, so so what, what happened was that for me to achieve what I wanted to achieve, I knew I had to push the limits of my health um, because – I, I was one of those guys that when I gained weight, I got stronger. When I lost weight, I got weaker. And so, so weight gain became a key component of my strategy. Um, and so one of the things that a lot of people, um, unless they've heard the story before, don't, don't realize is that when I was at my strongest, I was the most unhealthy I've ever been. Um, and so I had severe sleep apnea. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I mean, Shane, you can attest to the snoring. Yeah. Um, it was, it was like a rolling roar in, out, in, out, in, out. There wasn't a break. And then I would just stop breathing. Um, and so I'd wake up in panic attacks. And so my sleep, I could, I'd sleep less and less and less, which anyone who knows about sleep deprivation, you start to go a little insane. You start to be super paranoid. Um, so I just got to this point where like, I didn't know how much longer I could push it. And I knew the goals I wanted to get. Um, and so once I achieved that mentally, I tapped out and, I remember after the, the 1200, which was the last meet I did, I remember sitting down with Lou at breakfast to talk about, uh, you know, I, I wasn't in a position to tell him the day after I'd done that. I thought maybe, you know, give us some time, maybe I'd change my mind, you know. But I remember sitting down with him and he started talking about what I needed to do next. And it was, you need to go up to 350. And I just looked at him and thought to myself, <laughs> you're absolutely insane, old man. And it was the first time in my entire career that Louis said something that I thought was insanity. Everything I had said, he thought I was insane. And he challenged me on a lot of what I said. Like I told him I would break the world record. He believed in that. But I said I would squat 1,200. He said never. I said I'd bench. I'd be a to, uh, in the top 10 all-time bench list. He said never. Um, you know, so, so I, he, he said a lot of things that I was able to prove him wrong. Now, whether he said that to motivate me or not, you know, because he, he's a master manipulator in terms of knowing what motivates you to achieve your highest. Um, but, but he, I said stuff and he made me feel like I was crazy for saying it. So then I would want to prove him wrong. This is the first time in my career he said something that I thought was absolutely nuts. And I knew that at that point I'd lost my mental edge. I'd lost that. The component that had, uh, you know, propelled me to the top was gone. I just didn't have that belief that it was possible. And I knew that it was a dangerous place to be in. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I've always believed in is like success leaves clues but so does failure. And so the beauty of Westside is you can see all the people that have come before you, see what they do. You can, you can follow their, their footsteps, but you, there's also people there who have been there too long. There's people there who, who stayed past their prime and you just watch them deteriorate and become worse and worse and worse. And, and almost the glory they had disappears. Right. And it's, it's painful to watch because you see them trying and trying and trying. Um, and I didn't want to be that person. I don't want to be, you know, a 10 years down the road, Injuries happening every time I'm trying to train heavy, just trying to get that combat, trying to get one more meet in. Um, I just I knew that, that I, I was at that point where it was time for me to walk away. 
Um, and, and a lot of it was because I was scared I was going to die. Um, and I knew that if I remained at Westside, I, I wouldn't, you know, Louis wanted me to stay, wanted me to lose weight, just stay here. But I knew that wouldn't happen. Just once you're in Westside, you're there for one purpose. You shouldn't be there if you're not there to be the best. Um, and so that was what, that was why I decided it was time to, to kind of, you know, get out and, and uh, move on to some other stuff. One of them is moving to San Diego. That's another conversation. <laughs> I distinctly remember you, you uh, went for a conference, you came back and you're like, oh my God. I need to live in San Diego. The next place I move to will be San Diego. And that's where you are now, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, par it's paradise here. Yeah. So. 70 year round, I say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your first endeavor post powerlifting was CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I remember watching the video of you trying to catch cleans, and I remember how bad your wrists were. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. Yeah. This is not going to be good. Yeah, so uh, I got the crazy idea, like, uh, obviously, we had been working with a CrossFit community, and I moved out here, um, and so I was at a baseball game with Dave Castro, his wife, and a bunch of the, the, the level one um, trainers, and, you know, Dave was introducing me, and it was kind of cool, you know, because I was the strong guy in the room, and meeting everyone, and Dave's wife said to me, so now you're retired, what are you going to do? And I was like, you know, I don't know, I'm just trying to get in shape, and I said, maybe I'll try CrossFit one day, like, jokingly, and she just goes... She looked at me, and she goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I was like, huh? And she's like, CrossFit's the best thing ever to get in shape. And so I was like, hmm. <laughs> and so one of the guys that Dave <coughs> Lipson, excuse me, Dave Lipson, he is known as like the strongest CrossFitter at the time. He squatted 400 pounds every single day for like a year. He said, why don't you come train with me? And that was the first workout that got posted was me training with Dave. So um, it started off as this like thing she said that challenged me, and then it turned into like, me with my obsessive, you know, compulsiveness was like, I'm going to be the a games competitor. And I went all in for about eight months competing in the open and getting hurt um, during that, not actually because of CrossFit. I actually like was trying to show off to the, the powerlifters that I was training. Um, but um, long and short, like after that eight months, I kind of reevaluated everything and realized how long it was going to take me to actually be a competitive CrossFitter. And I realized that like I was going to have to commit pretty much my whole life to it again, just like I had done powerlifting. Um, and, you know, I'd already started to move into another direction with, with business and things like that. So it was one of those those gut checks times was like, well, am I willing to go? Am I willing to do what it takes to, to do what I said I was going to do? And um, in reality, I just wasn't. I wasn't willing to give up my life again for, for another sport. So um, that's when I kind of started looking at what's next. Um, from there you, uh, for the physical part of it, you moved into uh, a bodybuilding, which actually, like, when you see all the pictures, I'll pull some pictures up, uh, like, turned out fantastic, because I, I, <laughs> I also, uh, that sounded super gay, sorry, uh, one thing you've talked about is, even when you were 170 pounds, you always had a gut, it didn't yeah. matter how, how much you weighed, you always had a gut, what did you do to get rid of your gut? Yeah, so, um, you know, I kind of, it's funny, like, I kind of had this thing in my head, like, you know, people talk about genetics and stuff, and I kind of was one of these guys who's like, no, if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything you want to achieve. I'm proof of that. Um, and so, and I, because I'd never been ripped, right? I never looked like I, like, I remember when I was at powerlifting, I remember going to the world championships uh, in 06 in Lake George and standing to weigh in, and Paul Childers was in front of me, and we became friends, and he says, oh, what weight class are you competing? And I said, 308 with you, and he looks at me, he goes, looks me up and down, goes, huh? He's like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you look like you should be like 242 or something. <laughs> I just remember my, like my heart sunk, but I looked like a, I, I always had huge legs. I never had a big upper body, right? 
Um, but, but I'd always look like that. Always had like, you know, a big ass and big gut. Even when I was 170, like my lower body and, and like I never, I wasn't super lean. I looked really skinny um, because I was small, but I never was super lean. I'd never seen muscle, right? Um, and that's what actually led me to wanting to weightlift was because I wanted to look like, you know, I was an athlete. I want, and long story short, um, I started bodybuilding. Of course, when I started to cut down and, and get super lean, like I actually had really good genetics and like perfect proportions and perfect symmetry. And like the bodybuilding community was very acceptive of me and very encouraging um, to continue on, um, which uh, obviously I did the bodybuilding show. And then about six months after that, I was about 280 shoveling food into my mouth again, um, you know, for bodybuilding. And I kind of just one day just put my fork down. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like I was breathing heavy again. Like I was swollen. I was just like, I was like, I'm doing it again. And it was just that I was like, I, I don't like, it's going to take me another three years to be a pro bodybuilder. And then what does that actually get you? Right. When you turn pro in bodybuilding now, it's like getting a pro card is one thing, but being a, being a professional bodybuilder is a completely different ball game and being competitive. So I might have good genetics, but that doesn't make me, you know, a, a top Olympian uh, um, bodybuilder. And so that's kind of why I stepped away from bodybuilding. But yeah, it was, it was a big weight. It was a big realization like, Oh shit. Well, Maybe that's why I was really strong. I actually do have good genetics. Like you top good genetics with everything, then you then you get it. But I kind of shattered that that my own myth that like anyone and everyone can be the greatest thing ever. Um, people have set points. So I, I, I've kind of accepted that, but still think everyone can achieve you know more than they can imagine. But um, that was the first time you know like just just trusting the process. I work with Shelby Stans and just trusting the process and and following what he said. And it, the, the weight came off and. Um, the abs didn't come in till like the end. Um, and I actually remember like I looked better the day before I went on stage because, uh, our, uh, the cutting process we used, um, I reacted to the fiber. And so my, I actually had about eight pounds of food in me when I went on stage. So I wasn't as, as cut as I was the day before, which I was bummed about. But, um, I just remember when I saw the abs and like, I remember, I remember when I knew I was lean cause I was tanning in the tanning bed at the time, which is super gay. But um, <laughs> like, I remember all of a sudden, like, like my ass hurt because I, I was like lost all the fat. And I remember just like trying to be comfortable on the bed. And like, I was like, what the heck? And then the tanning bed, like it, when you're super lean, it like veins you out. And so I remember just getting, like my favorite time was going tanning because like I would see, I was just shredded. I could see everything and the abs were popping and uh, it lasted for like two weeks. And I just remember being like, fuck. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a ways away from that again now and trying to get back down there, but trying to, trying to do it in a less like extreme way. Cause I'm such an extremist. I'm just trying to do it where it's like I can maintain and be comfortable because you know, anyone who does anything, when you, when you go to the extreme, as soon as, soon as it's over, you're going to go rebound back. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey and process through it all. Did Shelby have you do the cheeseburgers at midnight and flank steak and so, here, so, so here's the deal for, for like we, as we came close to the show um, and we started to actually get to a point where uh, we were cutting carbs and then introducing cheat meals, found out that my body is extremely sensitive to carbohydrates. So my first cheat meal, he tells me I can have a burger, fries, and a small dessert. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, don't over, he's like, he's like, just, you know, when I say burger fries, like, I mean like normal size, da, 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 da. So I just went to In-N-Out. I got a regular burger, regular fries, and then got this small ice cream dessert, like, 
Next day I weighed in, I was like eight pounds heavier. And he's like, what did you have? He's like, what did you eat? And I'm like, I, this is exactly what I ate. He's like, it's like, you should have lost weight. You're supposed to like, it's supposed to spike your metabolism. I'm like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just need to take a shit. Um, anyway, <laughs> four days later, my body's still six pounds heavier. And so from that point on, I got no cheat meals. My cheat meal is like half a cup of rice. Um, and oh. so for almost, uh, pretty much for like almost six weeks, like, uh, going in, I was in keto and we were doing all this, like, because my body was so reactive to stuff. But I remember like, I'd obviously never been that lean before, but I remember like when you eat something that your body reacts to, like you can instantly see the changes, like 20 minutes in, like you can see the, the water retention, you can see this. And so we really got to learn my body and then going into that process. But the greatest thing was the day of the show. I competed, like obviously did the morning routine and everything, and then sent Shelby pitches, and he's like, "You can go eat cheeseburgers again." I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> but the crazy thing was, obviously for dinner that night, like obviously I was done with the show, so I could go out and eat whatever I wanted. He told me not to go crazy; I'd rebound. And for some weird reason, I wanted curry, so I eat chick. I ate chicken and rice as my cheat meal, like that oh. night, because I just. I wanted curry. I went from this curry house, but as I was eating it, I was realizing I was eating the same meal I'd eaten the entire prep. So I was like, what a waste of a cheat, but you know, it's what I wanted. So it was good enough. <laughs> awesome. You think it's about time for one of our signature segments? Yes, I do, sir. The one that we always start with is called what the hell was I thinking where you're going to share with us and our viewers a story of the stupidest shit you may or may not have allegedly done. <laughs> and and we've had quite a wide variety of things training stupidity just general drunken life stupidity so yeah. anything you want to any any crazy story you want to share with the world um i'm not really i mean as, as shane can attest to this I'm, I'm i'm one of those i'm kind of mellow i kind of like look at stuff it was like pick your poison right so during my powerlifting years, I didn't really uh, do um, too much insane stuff. Um, but uh, definitely as a teenager, I was a little different. And uh, this one time when we were, uh, you know, I always think I, I know best. And uh, we, were, we were hiking. Um, it was we were somewhere with school and we were hiking. And um, I, I, we, were at the very, we were at a very tall mountain. And I decided I didn't want to go down the path that everyone else was going down. That I'd go down my own route. And um, I actually came to like a cliff's edge and then like slipped over the edge and like tumbled down like half this, this mountain. And I remember getting up, like brushing myself off. I was like scraped up and cut up. I remember just like trotting along, going back to the, to the bus, meeting up with everyone, like not telling a single soul what had happened. <laughs> um, but I remember at the time, like I was like, thought I was going to die. I was like, I was absolutely certain I was going to die. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, it's just one of those times where I thought like, oh, I just go this shortcut, I beat everyone down and didn't work out too well. So, um, that's probably one of the, what the fuck moments like as I was <laughs> through that, like, and, uh, you know, I'm sure I've done other stuff similar to that where I've gone my own way thinking I knew better and kind of not. <laughs> when you met back up with your friends, were you able to play it off? Like no big deal, nothing happened despite yeah, I, being I just, scraped up. I said, I just tripped over a rock. Because <laughs> I was worried that like I'd get in like major trouble, um, but I obviously probably wouldn't have. They probably would have tended to the wounds. But yeah, it was it was one of those things where I think I was more embarrassed at my own stupidity, um, and I didn't want to tell anyone that I like I literally fell 
and and like was you know you know see the barrel rolls that you see in the movies and stuff like that's what I was doing down the hill and it's insanity. <laughs> Fantastic. That's that's uh, that's up there. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and our our final signature segment is called "What the fuck's your problem," where we give you the opportunity to just kind of you know speak speak out against something that's 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 current event in the strength community that pisses you off. Um, probably, I'm like, hmm, who's gonna be text messaging me? <laughs> um, you know, this whole raw gear like whole fucking argument drives me insane. Like, I remember when I first started powerlifting, and um, Brent, you know, kind of clued me in on all the bullshit that was in the industry, and you know, people arguing about depth and stuff like that, and and then. You know, now there's no gear and people are still fucking arguing about depth. And it's just ridiculous to me that this is continuation of the same stupid shit. And um, I've always appreciated all strength. I grew up watching Strongman. I watched the Olympic lifting. I love it all. And I kind of, I look at like all the different things that are going on. And it's like, if you're a fan of MMA, you're a fan of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You're, you're probably a fan of Muay Thai. You're probably, like, there's all these things that, that make up sports. And um, you know, you look at like CrossFit and, and people like want to hate over here or you look at, you know, Olympic lifting and powerlifting and they, they want to be enemies and say, oh, we squat deeper. And I just don't un understand why you think like if you're this type of lifter that makes you superior to anyone else. I, I just look at it and have appreciation for it. And I'm like, I don't care who you are, like putting that much freaking weight on your back and going up and down, like whether you're an inch high or fucking what, like it takes fucking balls. And it's always the people who like a shitty fucking lifters who want to bitch and moan about it. And they, they think they're good lifters. Like, but I never hear like top lifters just ragging on other people. Um, and it just, it just baffles me that like now roar is like the biggest thing going on. The arguments are exactly the same as when gear happened. Like a, a meet happens, you know, uh, um, shit. What's his name? Just broke that record with, with ridiculous. 1047 or what it was raw whatever yeah yeah thank you and it's like people are like was he deep enough it's like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like and the thing and the thing is that baffles me is like they go from me like he's been breaking and pushing the record and, and that group of guys have basically been the top guys since raw was getting popular and they're still the top guys and they'll be the top guys but it's like people argue over it and then that person comes back and breaks it again but you know, it doesn't matter as soon as you do one bad lift, like that's what you're remembered for. Um, and that just drives me nuts. It's just, I, I think the community is ridiculous that they argue with each other over that shit and think it's ridiculous that the arguments are the same. And, you know, it, it just, it just makes me laugh. And, and the same argument in Raw, you know, when like what knee wraps can we wear or knee sleeves and oh, they can't be this tight. And, you know, it's, everyone's always trying to cheat no matter what and, and lift more weights. It's really what it's all about. Everyone just wants to lift more weights. And so, um, I just look at it from the outside now looking in and I'm just like, I don't understand why people are so worked up over this. Like, especially when it has like no effect on them, you know, it's like they're, they're, they're moaning about a 275 world record and they're in 198 competitor. It's yeah. like, um, you know, it's nothing, it's not, not at, 
and they talk about the integrity of the sport and you go back and you hear the stories from the old guys and you hear about Gus's Hawaii world record breaks and how the plates were fake. You hear about Inza, how he rolled the weights out of the back of a truck and no one knew about it. And you, you hear, you know, you, you, you see these, the first guy to do this and then you, he's wearing a bench shirt, but they, like, was it a bench shirt or not a bit? Like there's been con controversy from the beginning of powerlifting, I'm pretty sure, you know, people putting tennis balls behind their kneecaps and wrapping themselves in, you know, bedding sheets. And, you know, at the end of the day, people just want to see heavy weights being lifted. And there's going to be different classifications, just like race car driving. You know, there's, there's drag, drag racing and then there's, you know, Formula One and then there's NASCAR. I don't know, maybe they hate on each other. I've never heard it, but like it's, it's there's different, there's still all race car driving, but it's diff different styles. Pick what you want to do, enjoy it, break records and, and be happy. Like, I just don't understand that just still to this day. I'm like, it just makes no sense. Like I look at the guys who are lifting raw now, you know, the Dan greens and, uh, and the, the Lily bridges and, well, and, you know, all those guys. And I'm impressed as shit by that shit. Like I look at those guys, I'm like, Holy crap. Like I don't look at them and be like, Oh, they're weak. Cause I lifted more. Like I just look at it. Like I know what I did without the equipment. I wasn't weak. Like I did an 850 raw squat and training bench 585 and deadlifted, you know, 775 in, in raw and competition. So it's like, uh, you know, obviously I'd still be a competitive lifter. Um, and if I train well, who knew what I could have done, but it's like, I don't look at their lifts and be like, Oh, they're pathetic. Cause they're lower than mine. Like, you know, I just look at it as like, they're strong as shit. Strong, is strong, you know? Agreed. I don't, I don't think Usain Bolt looks at the guys that, that wasn't ran ago. <laughs> that was fantastic. Shane, is our audio still working real good? Uh, it, 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 there was a little remix. Yeah, there's a little remix in there, but that's I'm like, getting a little bit busted up audio. I'm not sure how it's coming on your notes. Yeah, and randomly you just your video just popped up too. Oh yeah, Paul's oh hey Paul, still there. Hey. <laughs> All right, so uh, one thing that uh, we've kind of noticed is that people that succeed in life and in training and everything are reading and trying to grow themselves. Uh, we noticed that you are in a library right now. Um, what? Uh, what? For training, because I know you have a, you're a very successful businessman, you're a very successful entrepreneur, which I cannot spell. I tried to text that to Jack today, and I, it was so bad that my phone couldn't even autocorrect it. Um, and then you just you gave up us, on the text, uh, knowing yeah, I'd be mad. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he he would English the hell of me in it. Anyway, uh, give us three books for training that you've read, let's say in the last three or four years, that you've liked. Oh, man. Honestly, like, after I moved to Westside, I kind of stopped um, consuming so much and just started, like, almost like Wendell says, just putting the work in, in the gym and experimenting. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely, I mean, I mean, it's the same stuff as always, you know, the more you know, the better. So a, a lot of the stuff around um, block training really interested me for a while. Um, so I invested in that. And, and the cool thing is, is with, with, with anything you, you, you read, like you don't always have to agree with it, but at least you understand the other side. Um, so, so that's been, um, a good one. And I'm just going to peek at my bookshelf to see kind of what's new, um, that I have purchased. Cause I lie, I, I have purchased and read books, but I'm trying to think <laughs> for powerlifting. Um, well, training I mean, in general. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think that the big areas that people should be focusing on more than more than anything is um, everything but the trading, right? So uh, Kelly Sturette's book uh, was was um, was a, was a something I invested in. Obviously, I got to work with Kelly, um, but just that side of stuff, recovery, mobility, all of that stuff. 
Um, I was probably one of the first guys to do start doing that at Westside, rolling around on 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 um, foam rolls and stuff. And Louis was like, "What are you doing? Um, on the floor? Yeah, you, you get up your fag." And and um, <laughs> uh, you know, by the time I, by by the time I left, Louis was you know using the cross balls and stuff like that. So so I'd say you know that's probably a, a really good um, investment for a lot of people. And that's the, um, the supple leopard. Yeah, becoming a supple yeah, leopard. Yeah, becoming a supple leopard. Um, hmm. What about books that think, are for life? Um, I know you're kind of uh, you're a yeah, that's, outgoing kind of person. Yeah, I think um, I mean I'm I'm always reading, so I'm, I'm I consume a lot. Someone always says, "What's the best?" And it's like, "Well, what are you interested in?" But um, one of the books actually I'm reading right now, which is really good, is uh, "The Way of a Seal" by Mark Devine. Um, this is a this is a phenomenal book. I think anyone who's an athlete really can can. Um, jive with with uh, Mark's stuff and he has another book called unbeatable mind which is more the mental side of stuff which uh i'm a huge proponent for i think most people should should learn the mental side of stuff so um you know those and then outside of that like anything that i mean a lot of people would would probably shun this stuff but anything that's going to expand your thinking about possibilities so you know i'm huge in personal development space um tony robbins has always been a huge huge influence on me think and grow rich by napoleon hill um a lot of the stuff that that i read you can draw parallels in right and um a lot of people don't realize that like if you're if you're successful at one thing you can be successful at anything um uh, but most people don't understand the habits and and stuff like that so um a, a great book actually for athletes a great book to read i'd recommend is the talent code um, it basically breaks down why people are successful, and it has a lot of sports in there that it explains about like why why Brazil is one of the most successful soccer countries, why Florida produces the most tennis champions. During that book I read, um, I actually understood why Westside is Westside, you know, um, and it, it made a lot of sense. So, so those are the books I'd recommend, and then I'd actually recommend a documentary um, called Dreams of Sushi or Yuri Dreams of Sushi or whatever it is. Um, and uh, I, it, it really, it's pretty much like Louis Simmons in in the sushi world. It's the craziest um, documentary ever um, because it just talks about routine. It talks about perfection. It talks about being the best at your craft and not not drifting from that. Um, and uh, yeah, you, uh, Gyro Dreams of Sushi uh, is the movie, is the documentary. Um, but when you when you watch that and you start to think um about west side like you'll see a lot of stuff there and a lot of stuff will make sense and and arguably any system that produces champions you'll find is not just like a one-off right like um when there's the factory that's producing champions like there's a reason the Lilybridge family are all freaking strong um you know they basically train under france who has been producing champions forever that's not it's not uncommon and louis always says it you know um the strong walk with the strong and, and the lame walk with the lame and when you go to meets you can always tell the teams who got their shit together and tell the teams that don't right um and, and there's a reason for that and so these the, this that documentary that book talent code will, will start to unlock some of that and you can start to see like oh if i just surround myself with excellence and surround myself with the right people like i'm naturally going to raise myself up you know and uh, that that applies to training applies to life so um you know yeah Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, so that's going to conclude our podcast for today. Uh, on behalf of Jack and Paul, AJ, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, it's probably still sunny out there. It's been pitch black for four hours now. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything, uh, any, any closing statements you want to say before we go? 
No, I just want to thank Jack for all the amazing questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, I think... no, I, I appreciate it, guys. I, you know, I don't get to talk about the old days much anymore. Um, and it's always fun to reminisce and, and to chat. So I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, everybody.